Today is day 10 of our Bible reading. We will be reading Genesis chapter 46 through 50 today. Lord Heavenly Father, please bless this time to focus solely on you and on your word and the hope and the life that it brings us. Please anoint this time in your son's name. Amen. So Israel set out with all that he had, and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, and their little ones, and their wives, in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters with him, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, The sons of Reuben, Hanak, and Palu, and Hezron, and Carmi. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jakin, and Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah, Ur and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puva, and Eob, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, and Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion and Hagi, Shuni and Esbon, Eri and Arodi and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imnah and Ishva and Ishvi and Bariah and their sister Sarah, and the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Melchiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Leah, and she bore to Jacob these sixteen persons. The sons of Jacob's wife Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin, Bela and Bekur, and Ashbel, Gera and Naaman, Ehi and Rosh, Mupim and Hupim and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob. There were fourteen persons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, and Guni, and Jezer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel, and she bore these to Jacob. There were seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob, who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, 
not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who came to Egypt, were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph, to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. When Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brothers and my flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money's gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses 
and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest ye shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field, and for your food, and for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have a fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, so the length of Jacob's life was one hundred and forty-seven years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours, for they shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Padan, 
Rachel died, to my sorrow, in the land of Canaan, on my journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. 
Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a haven for ships, and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens, and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels, so that the rider falls backward. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, and he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the Mighty One of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your Father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. All these were the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and wept over him, and kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Now forty days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days.
When the days of mourning for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die. In my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders in the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers, and his father's household. They left only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds in the land of Goshen. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days mourning for his father. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had charged them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived one hundred and ten years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, Surely God will take care of you, and you shall surely carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. It appears some congratulations are in order. 
We have completed the first book of the Bible. One down, 65 to go. <laughs> well, it, it seems like such a daunting task, but to me, this felt very short. So I'm sure that the Bible will not feel like such a uh, tremendous task to, to do this in a year. But I've thoroughly enjoyed reading this with you. Um, and I'm not just saying that for the podcast. I'm being very sincere. I have really enjoyed this. Because every time I read this, I learn something new. Or something that I didn't fully understand the last time I read it. And that's why I challenge us as well that once we establish this healthy habit of reading the Bible regularly, that we would not deviate from this. That we, the very next year, do it again. And the year after that, do it again. Make it a tradition. Not only for yourself, but for your family. You know, I have um, convinced and made <laughs> my, my two older boys follow along with the podcast, reading it with me. When I'm not working a, a night shift at my job, I usually do devotions every night with my kids. And I... I love doing that, and this is by no means a substitution for it. It is very important as parents that we spend time with our kids and we teach them the Bible. Not just reading it to them, but to teach it to them. And I hope that this podcast as well is a blessing to um, learn more things about the Bible and just to help keep us on track, because I know this certainly helps me stay on track is I have a tendency of wandering off if I am understimulated in the Word or if I don't have a obligation of some kind. It, it forces me to focus on this and holds myself accountable. So let's talk about the text today. So we see in chapter 46 that the entire family of Jacob leaves Canaan and they enter into the land of Goshen in Egypt. Now, a couple of small things to note here is um, in verse 4, uh, God is has already told him, reminded him that, hey, I'm here with you, I will go with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And it mentions Joseph will close your eyes. Joseph will be the one that will be there at your death. So um, that was certainly comforting to Jacob that you'll see his son. Now, a little side note, not a big deal, but you read all the names of all the people from every family that came to Goshen. And it even mentions the names of the people that had died, which was Ur and Onan. Um, the number in, in verse 15, where it says the total number of people that were from Leah was 33. This number does not include Ur and Onan, because they, they both died in Canaan. And, you know, you can also see, why would God want to remember you if you had done evil? So, for two reasons I can see. That was why the number is not perfectly lining up with the names of what's being said here. So then you see Jacob and his brothers go before Pharaoh himself, and they present themselves and have a very interesting conversation with Pharaoh. And Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And it's a very beautiful picture of something that will not last um, in the years to come. Now, in this period, Egypt was very prosperous because of God and Joseph's direction. And they had a nice alliance, living in the greatest part of Egypt and working together. But we will see, once we enter the Exodus, which happens 400 years after this, that the old alliances have dissolved, and it's really sad to see, but let's enjoy it while we can. So, um, 
So you see Joseph makes some big moves here. Since the famine was so bad and all the people ran out of money, they had nothing else to give besides livestock. And then after the livestock was given, what else are they going to have? They just had themselves. And they had the land to give. So that's why the nation of Egypt now becomes all pharaohs, which sets up the stage for future Egyptian kingdoms because Joseph was actually the one that consolidated it for the pharaoh himself, um, except for the, the priest area, which is very interesting. Just as a note, if the Bible says anything like this, where it says Joseph in chapter 47, verse 26, Joseph made a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. It's not talking about our day. The book of Genesis was written by Moses, and Moses is a Hebrew. But you're going to see when we begin his story, he was raised as an Egyptian. He was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So he understood both the Jewish and the uh, Egyptian customs. And in his day, when he wrote it, it was still valid. It's not saying it's valid in the 21st century, but it was valid when Moses had written it. Just a FYI on that. So then you see that um, I found it kind of ironic when God blesses Ephraim and Manasseh through Jacob that they, he did the switcheroo again. Instead of giving everything to Esau, which was customary. You know, God acts in an unexpected way, as he usually does. And instead of giving Manasseh the firstborn rights, blessings, you see it give it to the younger, just like him. Jacob was the one who took the blessings from Esau, and now he's doing the same thing with Ephraim, giving Ephraim the blessings instead of Manasseh, who was the culturally... The firstborn was the one to get that stuff. So God acts in very unexpected ways. And we're going to see that he blesses Ephraim and Manasseh so much that the tribe of Joseph is a thing, but his children get their own half-tribe, if you will. So instead of it being called the tribe of Joseph, it's called the half-tribe of Manasseh, and the half-tribe of Ephraim, which is altogether the tribe of Joseph. And then you see chapter 49. And this one could be a whole other sermon or two. This is a beautiful prophecy here for a number of reasons. And for one, it is historically accurate. A lot of the stuff that he says to each of the sons of Israel really happened, obviously, because this is prophecy. This, this is God speaking here, not Jacob. And he prophesied in God's name as to what was going to happen to each of the, uh, the brothers. And so we're going to see things are going to happen when Joshua takes them back into the land of Canaan. They conquer it, and then they divide the land according to how God chooses, and it's exactly like this. So it's very cool to see him do this hundreds of years before it actually happened. And you see some very interesting things that are said about each thing. So for example, I'm not going to go too much into it, because again, this could be a whole sermon or two, but... You see, like Reuben, for example, you start with Reuben, how he is powerful and dignified, but he's uncontrollable because he defiled his father's bed. Remember, he went in and slept with his concubine. You don't see anything good come out of Reuben when they go into the promised land. There never was a prophet. There was never a hero, there was never a judge that came from the land of Reuben. 
and because he was blessed in some ways, but he was cursed in another because of what they did. Then you see the other brothers, Simeon and Levi, um, because of when they were avenging their sister, Dinah, from uh, what happened then, they were cut off. They were not given an inheritance. Now, you look at the geography of the Promised Land. Simeon, did he had his own little area, but his land was inside of Judas. So, really, he was surrounded by Judah the whole time. And then Levi, obviously, is the priestly line. And they don't get a, an inheritance. They don't get a land. They get pieces of, like, cities and so on and so forth, but they don't get their area. So very interesting how you see this all play out. And then you see Judah. And this is the one I'll spend the most time on, obviously, because the line of Judah is where Christ is from. And you see the Messiah in here so vividly. You see here beginning in verse 10. Well, we also call, what do we call Jesus? The Lion of Judah. And you see that here in verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. You know, who dares rouse him up as a lion? You don't mess with Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. He is king of kings, lord of lords. Jesus Christ is the ruler with the iron scepter, now and always for eternity. Now it says here, until Shiloh comes. Shiloh didn't really exist then. This didn't really take place until King David's time. When Shiloh comes, it means like the one who brings peace. What do we call Jesus Christ? He's the Prince of Peace. All of this is prophecy relating to Jesus Christ. He ties his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He is He calls himself the vine, the true vine. And didn't he go in on the triumphant entry on a donkey with the colt? You know, you see all this. It, it's all right there. And it's so beautiful to see. It, it's all related to Jesus Christ. And then you see geographically sound things like Zebulun will dwell at the seashore. And where you, where you think the land of Zebulun is, it's on the seashore. So everything that was prophesied by Jacob actually happened hundreds of years later, exactly as stated. And that is how God separates himself from his creation, as well as calling out the falsehood of the false gods. No other being can do this, to accurately tell the future with pinpoint accuracy. Now, I say that, and sometimes in the demonic world, with things like divination and astrology, uh, things like that, fortune-telling, sometimes it seems like they can do it too. But here's the thing. Demons are very intelligent creatures, and they've been around a very long time, so they know a lot of these tricks, and they have spent enough time with humanity to make very good guesses. But that's all they are. They're guesses. They can't tell the future. Only God can. And so that is a true sign that God's power surpasses everything because he is able to tell the future with pinpoint accuracy. And no one else can do that. So please don't be fooled by anything like fortune-telling, tarot, you know, all that stuff. That is all baloney. It's very good guesses, but that's all they are. They're just guesses. So you see, <laughs> I wish if I live to be a ripe old age, I want to go just like Jacob did. You see, when he's going to give his blessings, he strengthens himself, he sits up in his bed, and you know, sits at the edge of his bed, right? But then you see at the very end of chapter 49, 
that when he finished giving, giving his commands and, you know, his burial instructions, he finished telling them what he wanted, he got up in his bed, laid down, and out he went. That is the best possible way to go. Mission accomplished. Boom. I'm out of here. I love it. And that really just shows me as well, reminds me of what we're, what we're here to do. We're here to charge people, to give instructions to our fellow brothers in Christ, and give instructions of salvation to those who need to hear it. And then once we've accomplished our mission, that's why we exist. We only exist for God's glory and for his ministry. And once we serve no purpose for him, he takes our life from us. Our life is not our own. He only lets us draw breath as long as he wants us here. But once our job is complete, then he takes us to be with him. That's why it's so unfortunate sometimes, and we don't always fully understand it when it's like, whoa, that person, they died so young. A life unfulfilled. Are you sure about that? Because not everybody's going to live to a ripe old age. It does say elsewhere in the Bible that God uses his creations, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use, for general use. You know, he makes us, we are the vessels, we're called vessels, you know. He makes us like, like pottery, right? He's referred to as like a potter. We are in the potter's hands right? Some pottery is used as a, to be in the palaces of kings and, you know, as ancestral pieces and just ornate and gorgeous. But then there's some that you just use for drinking cups or to water plants. And, you know, but they're still base element. They're the same thing. But again, God assigns value to whom he wants to assign value. Some people exist for general reasons, but they're not going to heaven. And there's some people who are made and chosen to do honorable things. And I hope we are among those who will do honorable things in the name of the Lord. But since God is a creator, he can do with us however and whatever he wants. So now that's goes into the concept of predestination and 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 all the and common grace and irresistible grace which we'll do another time but uh we'll we'll not get into it right now. And then lastly you see in chapter 50 we see that um the entire nation of Egypt mourns for Israel. It's so beautiful to see. I mean it was a huge funeral procession. Huge. And so, uh, very interesting to see how that worked. And afterwards, Joseph's brothers still did not get it. Joseph had forgiven his brothers a while back. But you still see here, they're still worried that he's going to get them back for all the things they did to him. They're like, well, maybe he held back from doing things to us because, you know, our dad was still alive. But now that he's gone, there's no one protecting us anymore. And now he's going to get his revenge. But you don't see that. And, and Joseph gets it. It's like he said from the very beginning when he was interpreting the dreams for Pharaoh. He's like, it's not me. I don't have this power. This is God's power. And... They, I guess they forgot because just a few chapters ago, when they went to the land and he revealed himself to be Joseph, he told them right there is that, you know, this all happened so that I can help people. This all happened so God could save lives. And they thought he was going to get revenge on them. But he understood the proper dynamic here. And that's why he says this in chapter 50, verse 19. He said, don't be afraid. Am I in God's place? If I know God is the avenger, if I know that God is the one who will exact justice, if 
by his own standards. Uh, who am I to do that? That's not my place. That's God's place. And so you guys don't get it. Look at what I've been doing for you. I am not here to get you. I am here to help you and support you. And you see that Christ-like attitude in Joseph. Do not be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of Jesus Christ, because he's not here to judge us or to condemn us. He's here to save us. As for you, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's the thing. People always debate, like, if God is perfect and God is good, how does evil exist? Right? And that's we can definitely get into that sometime. God is not evil, to be very clear. He did not create evil, but he does allow evil to exist. We don't always understand why, but one thing he does do with evil is even through evil, he accomplishes his purpose for good. Everything that God does is good, and even evil can be made good. Isn't that us, really, as human beings? If we truly believe, which we should, the Bible says it, that we are born as children of wrath. We're born with this sin nature. What we intend for evil, which is in our very nature, God intends it for good. He makes what is evil into something good. That's what he does when he saves us. He turns what is evil into something good. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. How beautiful is this? And this is all in Genesis. We haven't even gone any further than Genesis yet. And you see Christ all over the place. He's all over the Bible. Don't ever forget that. All of this should be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ. Where is he? Why is this in the Bible? So many things could have been happening over the course of these hundreds, even thousands of years to this point. But why these particular stories? Why these particular events that are recorded for us? It's for us to learn. It's for us to understand who God is and who we are in comparison. So go as we go into this, try to see it from that vantage point. Where is God in all this? Where's Christ? And how do I how am I affected in this? What does this mean to me? And what is it trying to teach me here? Paul said it himself. He said, everything in Scripture was written for our instruction. It was to teach us something. My hope and prayer is for you to take what we're learning here and apply it to your life. Or to see value in what God is doing in his word and allow him to change you through it. This is for our instruction. And we need to be good students. We need to pay attention to our teacher. And we need to ask questions. So, with that being said, congratulations again for completing the book of Genesis. Tomorrow we will begin the book of Exodus. Thank you very much for listening today. I'm Ryan. And until next time, take care and God bless.